Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I am not Rabbi Schatz. With me is not Rabbi Matt Shapiro. Uh, but I am Rabbi Machapiro, and with me is Jack Yonick. So uh, greetings and salutations to all, and this Yatova to our squad who are on their trip to the South. And lucky us, joy of joys, we are in Vaikra. Hooray. Yay, Vaikra. Um, Everybody's Jackie, favorite book. Jackie, how do you feel about Are you a Vaikra fan, Jackie? I just had my life changed. Somebody's senior oh. sermon this year was about Viagra, and I now have much more positive feelings about <laughs> and, it. And, and now I dislike it even more. Why, no, why? I actually now really enjoy it. Why? So the the why very, very think? short take on it, and yeah. this is a tangent, but you can ask me another time, is basically that this is the begin this is a marker of a beginning of Jewish peoplehood, that before Jews were a people on the run. Um, but this is the formation of society that to have society you have to have rules. Um, and that this is really a foundational piece of when Jews became or Israelites or whatever you want to call people who left Egypt really become a people in a society and figure out how to be more than just people on the run. Jews on the run. Jews on the run. No? That was Elon's classic rock for the day. There you go. Uh, Elon's living his best life over there. He's got, he's got me singing, singing classic rock. He's got NCAA in the background. It's a good day for Elon's part. Um, okay. So with that in mind, it seems like Tybal, are you a fan of Vayikra as well? Is that a holiness code? Um, yes, I am. Big fan? And in fact, I know we're recording, but I'm going to say, if it's a, a little schmooze, um, for a number of years, I taught fourth grade supplemental religious school in a conservative shul. Yeah. And the principal let me, because I fit everything in, you know, very crowded curriculum. I'm sure that's true for Beth on too, when in, anywhere else. Yeah. But Every year I would split them up in Hevrus uh, groups chosen appropriately and have them derive the Decalogue from the Holiness Code, making the point, subtle, not so subtle point about how, you know, Holiness Code, even better stuff. That sounds pretty groovy. Do you still have that lesson plan? I do genealogy. You think I get rid of anything? <laughs> I would love to. I would love to see that if you got it. I think we're, we're it'll be a tangent on a tangent, so we won't do it now. But I, I would actually love to see that. I'll look. For, I will look for it. All right. Cool. And, and I'll just say, and I split kids up carefully to, to not just personality, but some who say might be on medication that might have worn up from supplement. You know, all those. I didn't do it early in the year. Because I waited till I really knew them. Yeah. That sounds very interesting. Um, you guys have, have warmed me up to Vayikra a little bit. It is now officially one of my five favorite books of the Torah. Okay. Top five? Wow. Top five. Yep. Top Top five. five at least. Um, so we're in Parshat Sav. And uh, we're going to not get too far into it before we get into our verses. Uh so here we are, Parshat Tzav, Yeehaw, Giddy Up. Um, 
How was that, Jackie? It's my lasso. Oh, oh, that was a lasso. Okay. You can take the girl out of Texas. We can't take the Texas out of the girl. Fair enough. Um, great. Okay. <laughs> I have no rejoinder to that. We're doing um, great. God spaketh unto Moshe, saying, command Aaron and his sons thus. This is the ritual of the burnt offering. I, just as a, a brief um, introduction to this parsha, I'm, I'm guessing Rabbi Schatz introed Vaikra generally last week. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Yes, you did. Great. Um, so yeah, so Tzav is is like really just getting into a litany of different types of sacrifices that were offered. I don't have much more by way of intro. Jackie, any any other intro beyond that? That is that's what I got. Great. Sacrifices. Lots and lots. Lots, lots of sacrifices. Moses and Aaron's house of sacrifices. Two for one special. Um, command Aaron his sons thus. This is so just getting into a type of offering the Ola offering. It'll remain where it's burned upon the altar all night until morning. Um, briefly thought about talking about this idea of the uh, the Ish Tamid that burns. Jackie, you're talking about that, right? You're I'm speaking about it tonight. All actually. right. If, if you want more. See also, if you want more on the Ish Tamid, come to Temple Betham tonight or stream it live to hear Jackie Honig talk about the eternal flame, but we won't steal her thunder. We're just going to move on to something else now. Okay, uh, we are going to be talking about uh, these next two verses. So we're in Vaikra, Leviticus chapter six, verses three and four. That's what we're going to do a deep dive into today. Bilavasha Kohen, the the high priest shall dress Mido Vad in linen raiment, which is a phrase that you definitely use all the time in your everyday life. Vad Yilbash Al Saro, and he shall wear linen breeches upon his flesh next to his body. Veherim et Hadeshen, and he he takes up the ashes. So so point being just dipping back to verse two for a second. Um that this offering, this Ola offering was, was fully burnt. It was burnt to a crisp, right? So, so it was fully burnt up. So then the high priest lifts up these ashes, so he lifts up the ashes that were fully consumed by the fire of the burnt offering upon the altar. And he actually places those ashes next to the altar. We'll, we'll talk about that a bit more in a sec. Ufashat et begadav, and he then actually takes off his clothes, vilavash begadim acherim, and he puts on a different outfit, vehutsi et hadeshen el michutz lamachana, and he takes those ashes outside the camp, el makom tahor, to a pure place. So we're sort of getting a bit of an insight into like the choreography and, and how that would unfold um, with the priest who was officiating over this offering. And I know everyone is wrapped with attention over these two verses. Renee's already got her hand up. Renee's already got her hand up. Renee, hit me. What do you got? I just have a weird question of whether there's a connection between linen, that material linen and ashes or, or not. Like, why did they choose linen for him to carry the ashes? Is it, is it something that will get less dirty? <laughs> I'm you have to very... have, be extra wrinkly when you carry the, the ashes. 
I know very little about linen. Would would linen be less prone to ash gathering? I have to be careful how I say that phrase. Is is mm-hmm. linen? They made an emphasis to say linen raiment, linen breeches. You know, they uh-huh. kept repeating linen, and I'm just wondering why that was so important. That. Yeah, great. I mean, I don't. I don't know that I found anything on that. I think it also refers back. We've heard about this outfit before. Um, the, I'm going to bring a longer Hasidut piece because Rabbi Schatz isn't here, so she can't tell me not to. Um, tell us how you really feel. We know how. We know how much Rabbi Schatz loves Hasidut. Um, so yeah, I'll reference back to another place where that shows up. But it's a it's a good question. Is is there is there something about that specifically um, that that makes it? sort of fitting for this type of offering. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Karen. Hi. Hi. Uh, when it says here and and has to take the ashes outside to a pure place, I was thinking about the place that you have to bury everything with God. Mm-hmm. Geniza. Yeah, right. What do you think? Is this like it? Uh, I love that connection. So um, do I. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also wanted to know Take it off the altar, put it next to the altar, go change your clothes, and then take it away. Why all that business? Great. Great. So the, so the I, I have a take on that. I'm going to, like, hold on to that question for now because the, the piece that I found sort of, like, offers, like, kind of a psycho-spiritual refraction of that, like, the, the different pieces of that. Um, so I'm going to, like, hold on to that question for now. Um, but, yeah, I think... I think there is definitely something that we can like read into that metaphorical process in addition to the like literal process, right? Is this something that the priest did? Sure, probably, maybe. I don't know. I wasn't there, but as good a chance as any, um, but also a chance that there's like something that we can read into that metaphorical process um, as well that I was having a good time rocking out with. Uh, Ilan. So I have one statement and one question. The statement is my, when I read these lines, it occurred to me that there's some practicality here, which is that linen tends to be lighter and, and breathe. So when one is near fire, uh, it would be cooling to be in linen as opposed to something else. And now that uh, you do the fire, you, you know, it's no longer hot. You're going outside, you put on a different set of clothing. The question is, is the implication, and this comes in line two, uh, when it says, and carry the ashes outside the camp to a pure place, is the implication of that statement that the um, that inside, inside the OHL itself is not pure, which seems to me uh, odd, because I would assume that it would be pure. But if, if you're saying that you must carry it out to a yeah, pure yeah. place, what does that imply? <laughs> It's a, it's a great question. I actually, I looked at a couple of different pieces on this. I didn't, the, the phrase Makom Tahor actually didn't catch my eye until I read it out loud here. Jackie, do you have anything on, on that? I totally on? focused on the, everything I had came up about the clothes. Yeah. I also, but I wonder if it's like, I think it, it, so this semester we're studying biblical syntax, which is something that unless you really like Hebrew grammar, you I 
yeah. Um, but it's interesting because it, it like makes me think a lot more about like the way that words are ordered and strength and sentences are ordered. But I see the way that you read that is the home that isn't Tahor. Is that the Holy of like, is that the Holy of like, it's not the Holy of Holies. It's the Oh, how Moed were at that part of the story. Um, or is it everything in between? Like, that's what's interesting is that you could read it that way. Or it could be like, you can't just dump this in the bushes. You have to go find an actual yeah. spot to do it. And it doesn't necessarily... Yeah, Paula, I might agree with you, but I don't know. I'm not confident enough, but I think you could read it either way. Yeah, I read it kind of similar to how... Um... I think Karen was asking the question that it, it sounds like there's like an ash Geniza, right? That there's like well, a, a holy place outside the camp that you're then like supposed to bring these ashes to. It's interesting. Cause I didn't, I mean, I read the partial last week, but I didn't like pay, like I didn't read it in conjunction. And I, and I wonder like, are there directions somewhere of like what this holy place is? Yeah. And it's not, it also isn't a definite. That's the other thing is it isn't a definite to the pure place. It's to a pure place. And like what yeah. now I'm adding questions to the question of what makes a place pure. How does one make a place pure? Right. Let's let, we can, we can maybe leave those be for now, but I think it's, it's definitely yeah. an interesting phrase and an interesting construct. Rebecca, finally, Rebecca is speaking. Um, I just wanted to comment on the on the um, the linen. Yeah. That um, so so the word here to me is just the word for fabric, right? And um, I'm wondering if the point is that it should be fabric rather than something that is made from uh, from an animal like leather or you know like. Because leather was used both for garments and for tools and for carrying water and so on. So it might be the point is to leave out any animal products. <laughs> Interesting. In con in you're saying like in contrast to everything else that's happening in there? Right. <laughs> huh. I hadn't thought of that. Very interesting. We're going out of our way to specify fabric because it's it's differentiating between that and what else might be happening as a part of the sacrificial service, you're saying. Interesting. Well, well, what I mean is not to bring in other animal products besides what you're sacrificing. Uh-huh. Oh, to sort of like maintain that distinction. Yeah. I've never thought of that. It's very interesting. Just already more than I've ever thought about the fact that the priests wore linen. I'm sure Jackie has thought long and hard and deeply about this, but uh, making a very interesting face at me. Um, Tybal, you want to talk more about linen or do you have something else? Um, actually, thank you for the nice segue because I wasn't on linen per oh, se. I mean, right. I was thinking about it. I'll tell you what direction I went, which is maybe because of what you said originally about Vayikra, it, the psychological priming, but I was thinking about what did in rabbinic Judaism, what gets reframed from biblical Mm -hmm. and where I went was, Oh, on the vestment part that these are special clothing for ritual purposes. And I went, Oh, we have kiddos that everyone Yes, some people marry, some people don't. But in theory, you're supposed to wear it on Yom Kippur. You're supposed to wear it if you're leading a Seder, which in a more egalitarian um, Jewish community, almost everyone has a chance to lead. You know, you don't have to be the paterfamilias to get to lead. 
And then at death, so I was thinking about just, and I don't know when Kittle started, but they have to be rabbinic, right? Oh, Rabbi? Yes, I believe so. I don't know when rabbinic, but I just thought there's a sense of putting on, they use the word vestments and raiment, however one pronounces that. And anyway, I thought, oh, it's not just a talus, which we have later from Vayikra, the um, the fringes, but we have this thing called a kittle. And it just reminded me about how no temple anymore, but sometimes at home, the Mikdash Mayat, your, your home becomes a substitute for the altar at certain times. Anyway, that was the direction I went, which is not linen. Yeah. It's interesting. Although for what it's worth, and I'm only realizing this now, I'm actually wearing the one pair of linen that I have today. So I, I clearly was like anticipating the class that, that we would be teaching subconsciously. Of course, I did not think about that uh, at all this morning. I, I am wearing my priestly gown. I think I might have my kittle in my closet too. I can go super holy, um, but I don't want to overwhelm everyone. So It's like the, it's, it's your post perm costume. That's that's right. I still have all my Purim costumes in my office, um, but I I will for once exercise a modicum of self control and not don all of them right now. Uh, I think all of them uh, at once could be an interesting mix. Yeah, my may scare- may I just say, did you get to be scarecrow by unan by a, like a unanimous vote, or did you have to fight for the right? just say that I really wanted to start with Rabbi Adam Klinkfeld dressing up as Dorothy and I was roundly rejected in that proposal so the rest just sort of filtered from there but I thought because he is a dog you could have brought brought the dog as Toto but um, I was you can't always get what you want in this world um, meanwhile back at the ranch Denise okay so more thoughts on linen um, <laughs> so, okay. so thinking about the Cain and Kevel story, and one of them brings linen for a sacrifice, flax, but it's linen, and the other one brings animals. And so, so it just makes me think about now, like, they're sacrificing animals, and there's all this mention of linen, and maybe uh-huh. there's like part of the spirituality of the whole thing is those energies coming together and being a team. Wow. Clearly I should have written my Josh after we taught this class. <laughs> um, I'm like scrambling to look up. Denise, where do you, where do you see that? I'm like scrambling to look it up. In Brace Sheet, when it talks about, you know, that's why Cain, or yeah, Cain kills Hevel because God likes one sacrifice and not the other. Yeah, yeah. That part so I one of, the, one of them brought sheep and one of them brought flax. I don't remember who brought what. But huh. one of them brought one and one brought the other and then and then they killed each other. But Yeah, I I don't see flax specifically. It's there. It might be in a midrash, but it's totally there. It might be a mid it, it might be a midrash, which also might be like rabbinic retroactive kind of reading of this, right? That that there's some fusion there. Um Denise, you can teach the class in Kainan and have all next year. <laughs> I don't know. I just remember always learning that one was a flax farmer and yeah. one was a shepherd. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. That's interesting. I also feel like that's, I feel like last time I taught this class, I also had a whole ramble about rabbinic 
the rabbis and what they do. But I also feel like if that is midrash, it is very rabbinic to be like, yes, the character we love is a peaceful man who yeah. who grows linen, and the man we don't like is an animal farmer that sacrifices animals. Yeah, Tybal through the verse in the chat. I don't see linen specifically mentioned, but um, no, but it's mentioned. I. I don't know. Exactly. Now I'm on the exercise bike, so I can't look it up. But um, I just have this. I know. I like I that we're it. expanding I mean, like, the, the the things that people do um, mid class. We've got exercise bike. We've got <laughs> Renee cooking as usual. We've got Elon watching the NCAA tournament. Um, I'm glad that this class is a time for people to multitask. Renee is cooking uh, and threatening people with spatulas. Correct. Triple duty. Um, Okay, great questions. Lots about linen. I have fully exhausted my knowledge of biblical linen, though, of course, yes, biblical linen would be a great name for a rock band. Um, Jackie, do you have anything else on linen? I don't, but the other thing that I think is very interesting is the way that the garments are described. Um, of what are these garments? Um, because it's very interesting. I don't think I brought it in the end. I don't remember if I read it in what you had, if you had sent me or what I had read. And I don't think I brought it, but it's very interesting. And if I scoop you, I'm about to scoop you. I'm sorry, but it's interesting because me, Joe, me, Joe. So it's me, Joe, bad and me, say bad. And me, Joe is an outer garment. And me, say is if you look it up in the, biblical dictionaries like the nerd that i am it will tell you that it's a priestly undergarment of linen and that it is linen underwear which also doesn't sound particularly comfy um though better than leather if that's the if that's the comparison that's available um but it's interesting to me biblical undergarments i don't i, I don't so my my I do know a fair amount I am about not historical Google biblical clothing. My work. No, no, no. But I know enough about historical about historical clothing for reasons. Oh, um, you know, we all bring different things to the rabbinate. Um, that like underwear as we think of them today weren't really a thing until relatively recently. Like, so it was not it was not as uncomfortable as it might have been. But anyways, I think it's interesting that like it. What I think what was striking to me is that in so many places, we get these like long descriptions of the garments that the Kohanim wear. And it's this piece and it's that piece and it's outer. It's a shirt and a, and a jacket and a pants and a, and a this and a tunic and a, all of these things. And yeah. here they don't just say the garments. They specifically tell us two of them. Um, it depends on how you define that, Elon. Just not that I'm going to comment on it, just so everyone who's listening to the podcast knows most importantly, so that they don't think it was something that I brought up out of nowhere, Elon wrote in the chat, did our forefathers go commando, to which I will only say no comment. Um, let, uh, wow. Okay. All right. Look, Rabbi Schatz <laughs> isn't here and everything <laughs> just go. Tybal, you are, you are like rocking and rolling today. Jackie, do you want to read what Tybal wrote? I'm only laughing mostly because I'm also referencing Harry Potter tonight in my drash. So clearly we are all on the same page tonight. Not that part of Harry Potter, but. Very, very good. We're going to leave that on the, on the deleted scenes of the, of the podcast. There, <laughs> there are some things you only get by being live, live with us on Zoom. Okay. Um, Jack, 
Ricky, do you want to start or do you want me to... I want you to start. You want me to start. Um, Great. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I'm going to I'm gonna say a thing and then I'm going to go into the, the text that um, I prepped a bit, which was also just that I think because we just we just finished uh, Purim and uh, however many shopping days left until Pesach, um, which means, of course, that soon in grocery stores, they will have, you know, Hanukkah candles and and uh, and whatever they put out that is not Pesach related available for your purchase. But the matzo um, will be for the right holiday. Finally. Oh, they already do, says Nancy. What did you what did what did they have? What did what did you see in the dis- everything? Everything is out. Great. This is I saw Hamantaschen and matzah together at Costco yes, a week or two yes, ago. That it's was the Marina Del Rey Costco has the, it's one, it's on the same thing. And it's, it's Shmura matzah and Hamantaschen yes. right next to each other. And Hanukkah candles? No, it's and Costco. The, Hanukkah season prepared. isn't until August. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I did notice, I'm, I'm sure someone has written this written about this somewhere but i do think it's interesting that there is like a purimi piece and a pesachi piece if you look at those verses that there's like a a change of clothing which feels purimi to me and then taking out the ashes that feels a little bidikat chametzi to me right that there's there's something that this parsha like coming on the heels of purim tilting into pesach um i don't know that well, felt that, that felt a little holiday like transitioning between holidays as well tomorrow it's also interesting that you say that because i read something i don't remember where memory is hard but something that interesting is that this is one of the few years that we actually get to read the haftorah for tzav because it normally is shabbat hagadol right before pesach that because of the calendar this year we actually are getting tzav much earlier in the season we won't read it again for something like 20 years i think oh wow what a shabbos um, yeah, so, but it's very interesting that is you see that transition. I can see where I, I think I know where I read that today, but it's interesting that like you see that transition and that's also something like a meta comment of like, what's so interesting about Torah is that like that comment wouldn't come up in most years because in so many years we'd be so close to Pesach. We would definitely not be thinking about Purim anymore. Yeah. The, this week's half Torah is among the rarest ever read. Tzav usually falls on Shabbos Par, Shabbos Hagadol. Um, the Haftorah for Tzav won't be read again for another 21 years. Yo! Check it out. Haftarat Tzav, coming in hot. Cool. Uh, yeah, Renee, I, you have something to say about Haftorah of Tzav? No, I, I have something to say about Pesach. Oh. I have something to say about Pesach. Can we not discuss Pesach? Because it's making me extremely <laughs> anxious. We just finished for him. I will rapidly steer away from talking anymore. And you don't talk is there about a connection Pesach? between the no, word sov no. meaning turtle and what you're going to talk about? Um, or no, elements but I will try really hard now to make that happen. Wait, a connection uh, between what? Sorry, I couldn't hear you from my own singing. The Hebrew word sov means turtle. So a connection between turtle or the characteristics of a turtle and the... I, Jackie, I, I'm going to make the intern do it. Jackie, you're in charge of. I got one between Purim, Pesach, and turtles. 
that um, that perm vinafohu, when you turn a turtle over, it gets sort of stuck and scrambly. And I don't know about anybody else, but I often coming into Pesach feel like that. I feel like I'm like a turtle kind of stuck and like floundering a little bit. Um, and it takes someone else to kind of come and write the turtle again and write me and be like, it's going to be fine. You got this. All right, I'm going to try to never have thought of that, but it's very creative. I'm going to try I will just say for whatever it's worth, as is sometimes you see in Haftorahs that like, and, and in general, if we're about to end something on a bad note, there's like a coda that gets added in, right? Like at the end of Echa, the last, the last verse of Echa is very, very sad, which is then why we go back, haha, to read right? The sense that we're going to return to God and God will return to us because we don't like ending on a sad thing. We end, we're about to end on a very sad thing without any coda, the last Verse of the half is death shall be preferable, preferable to life for all that are left of this wicked folk in the all other places in which I will banish them. Kind of a downer. Um, but then there's this coda that gets added in. Um, that's really, really nice. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the strong man glory in his strength. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But only in this should one glory in earnest devotion to God. For I, God, act with kindness, justice, and equity in this world, and in that I delight. So that's nice. That's a nice. It's from Jeremiah chapter nine. In case, because it felt like we should have something from the Haftorah in there, since we're not going to read it again for twenty-one years. So there you go. Haftorah up top. Um, maybe I'm actually going to do the thing I prep now, Jackie. What do we think? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that took a lot of that took a lot of turns. Well. I got excited about the fact that it's a rare half tour. Half tour, maybe maybe one year we'll do half tours. I think half tours are under. Um, I'm currently taking a knock class. I have lots of feelings about half Torah right now. I like okay. So um, this is a piece. Thank you, Rabbi Art Green, for translating it. Um, I I condensed it and, and retranslated it a little bit, but it is it is almost all his work and not mine. Um, this is a teaching of the Noam Elimelech, Rabbi uh, Elimelech of Lezensk. Um, and what he does, I referenced this earlier, is he sort of goes through like phrase by phrase to kind of break down these verses in terms of talking about them um, as like a process for uh, like internal uh, spiritual work. He goes like phrase by phrase. This is this is one of my favorite favorite kinds of Hasidic texts like that you go and you sort of like reframe you know the whole construct of what the verses are talking about it is definitely very drashi rather than pshati uh you know it's vaikra we're doing what we can okay um so he says when you wear this linen garment mido bad of course that means you should work on your personal qualities midot right, means your personal qualities. So if we have, right, mida, midot, right, um, you should work on your midot through contemplative reflection, um, heat bodidut, which is sort of like a, a Hasidic practice that you um, take some time to uh, be by yourself and reflect and connect with God. So of course, obviously, when it says that the priest should wear a linen garment, what that means is that the that you as a person, right? Since we're trying to to emulate this uh, ascension to holiness, you should take some time to reflect on your personal qualities through contemplative reflection. 
linen pants upon his flesh. Uh, it's not going to tell us much about linen, but uh, there it is. Um, meaning that you, by reflecting, um, you uh, work on overcoming lust, right? Like that symbolically, if you're talking about covering yourself up, then what you're, then what you're doing is you're working on overcoming that. Um, and in that he's referencing back, somebody asked about, Renee, I think you originally asked, like, is, is the linen specific to here? But it's actually originally described back in Shmote. Um, and in Shmote, I sort of added it on the side here, right? What are those pants specifically for? To cover their nakedness. So I guess we are talking about undergarments after all, right? So if you're wearing the linen garment, that means that you're working on your personal qualities. And not only that, you're, you're going sort of one step deeper, right? There's the garment, and then there's the pants, and the pants are indicating that you should um, work on, on that kind of deeper stuff um, that might be um, happening. And then it's going into um, this idea of taking up the ashes, um, raising the ashes. And this is an interesting comment, I thought. It is impossible at first to overcome the qualities that you were born with. So I'll do kind of like a quick segue slash reminder. Um, in rabbinic thought, we often have this idea of yetzerah tov, yetzerhara, right? The godly inclination and the animalistic inclination. We both, we all have both of them, right? And there's something about trying to elevate all of it, particularly the parts of us that are more earthly. And I think that that's sort of implicit in a lot of what the Noam Elimelech is talking about here. So you should, right? It's a struggle sometimes to overcome those more earthly inclinations, then he says, instead, you should elevate them to holiness, right? You take the parts of you that are more earthly and you find a way to try to elevate them. For example, if you tend towards anger, set aside external angers and direct your anger towards the wicked. I looked at that. I'll tell you, I, I could not quite decode what the difference is between external anger and anger towards the wicked. That also seems to be kind of an external anger, um, I don't have much on that. Jackie's going to make it make sense for us. Um, and likewise with other qualities, right? So basically um, you're finding a way to, right? Whatever those ashes are, you're finding a way to elevate those quote unquote ashes and place them beside the altar, right? That precisely that overcome your tendencies, bring your qualities, anger or any other to holiness. So the parts of you that are more ash-like, quote unquote, that sort of schmutzy aspect of you, you should actually find a way to try to not discard them um, or not ignore them, but actually to try to find a way to elevate them. And I like that as a construct. Um, and then going into the next verse, so verse four, when it's talking about undressing and putting on other clothes, this teaches you that after this stage, there was a greater achievement. So it's sort of this, this process. It's like a three-part process. First, you work on yourself. Then you elevate the schmutzy parts of you. And now this third stage, um, it is to totally strip yourself of those qualities, right? So those, those clothes, right, that have gotten, gotten kind of dirty from that, um, and you take them out of the camp. This means that those tendencies that you were born with will never again rise within you. That sounds nice. Um, and you will uh, live in great holiness. I don't know how realistic that is. That sounds like kind of a tall order to me. Um, but what I do like about this teaching is how it kind of lays out this sort of um, three-part process that these verses aren't just talking about priestly service, um, that it's laying out kind of a, a recipe for trying to work 
uh, on your inner psycho-spiritual self, that you, you pause and reflect, you think about the more earthly elements of who you are, you find a way to elevate them, and then you're, you're sort of transcending them, moving past those earthly parts of yourself um, to, to be that much more connected. So I don't know what people think about it. I don't know if folks like it, but I thought it was just an interesting sort of rereading of these verses um, into something that's more sort of accessible and reflective rather than like what just the priest kind of does. Um, so I thought that that was interesting. Jackie, I don't know what you think. I don't know if other people have thoughts, but I thought it was kind of groovy. No, I like it. I really, this is something that I also like really enjoy about like Classy Dude and, and different works is ways that you look at it and you're like, okay, like this is kind of out there and clearly a thing we don't do anymore. Um, and how do we take it and make it relevant to our lives? Yeah. Um, I do think that contrast between like external anger and anger towards the wicked is like an interesting. Yeah, like, I, was I, also, I was having a tough, I thought about editing it out, but I think it's also sometimes okay to include things that you don't quite understand. And I will say, yeah, yeah. I don't understand that. I don't know if other people have thoughts on it as well or not. I can just hop out and see people look at me, looking at me in confused ways. Yeah, all okay. I don't know. I had an experience the other day. I was in a one LA meeting and there was a presentation and somehow I got, um, there was feedback at the end and I provided feedback and I was irritated and, you know, on the verge of getting angry, but not quite angry, but I was really irritated. And I was kind of then upon reflection, I was irritated at my irritation, you know, like, wow, I haven't been triggered in a long time. I haven't been impatient in a long time. I haven't like, sort of provided criticism like that in a in a long time and it sort of took me aback it's it's I startled myself you know and I've been really thinking about why you know really taming anger for me has been like a lifelong struggle and and I feel like I did like I felt like I was doing better so to speak you know like I had it a little more under control so I was surprised by it but then one of the organizers uh, called me, Robert, who called me and he said, you know, Paula, we value anger in leaders. You know, it forces you, it creates action. It makes you responsive. You're not indifferent. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a value. And it's for me, it's always like, well, how do you channel it? Not just how do you express it, but what are you going to do with it and how can you move it to the good? Um, so this speaks to me. Mm. Well, I can't, I, I'm a little uncomfortable that we're being recorded, but despite that, I'm like outing myself with my, uh, my, my response and my response. Thanks, Paula. I appreciate that. Don't worry. I'm still skeptical. Anybody ever listens to this podcast anyway. So I think you're probably fine. Um, but but I, I appreciate the vulnerability. I mean, I, I will also say, I think sort of affirming what Robert said as well from like that perspective. Yeah, I, I think righteous indignation is important, you know, I, and, and I'm with you as well. Like, okay, I have kind of this frustration floating around, right? I'm feeling angry about what's happening. What do I do with that? 
you know, it, it's, it's, I think a very human thing. I can only speak for, for one, one human, which is me. Um, I also get frustrated. I also get angry. And then there's the question of, okay, do I just sort of have that resentment and frustration hanging out and, and sort of free floating whatever, or do I kind of try to do the work to channel that in a, in a constructive way? Um, I also appreciate what you said. And I think you, you and I have spoken about this too, right? Like there's the initial anger or frustration and then there's the frustration for being frustrated. And, th- and that's kind of when it cascades a little bit. I'm angry. Ah, I don't want to be angry. God, now I'm angry that I'm angry. Right. And, and that's when things kind of, kind of get a little haywire um, instead of doing the work of saying, okay, I'm feeling a little frustrated right now. What am I going to do with that? You know, and I, I think that that is where the work that the Noam Elimelech is talking about here can can kind of start, right? Okay, how do I how do I now try to elevate, or even if it's not elevating, maybe maybe at least redirecting that in kind of a a more constructive or, or potentially healing kind of way? Um, I can definitely relate to that, and so can at least a few other people, or at least they have something to say about it because uh, there's some hands up. Yeah, Denise. So um, I wasn't at the 1LA meeting, so I, I don't know exactly what Paula is referring to. But um, Paula, if I could be so bold, I, I get the sense that you're handling the anger feelings exactly the way that is being suggested in that, in that verse. Because <clears throat> instead of indulging that frustration with whatever immediate person triggered it, you're focused on the work of one LA and you're, and so that, I think that's in my mind, that's what it means like to, to fight the external wicked is like, you're fighting like the, the outside, the not interpersonal stuff, but like the systemic things that are going on that, that make us angry. So, um, so that was kind of one thing that sort of jumped out at me. And then the other thing that I was thinking about is, so I've been doing these mindfulness classes online and they tell us, you know, so we start of course with silence and then um, the theme was love and compassion and like quieting the inner critic. So we're supposed to think of a situation that's troubling us and notice how we feel and then try to soften even in our bodies. Like if you're clenching your jaw, try to soften your jaw and things like this. Anyway, Okay, thank God the cameras are off. It's every single time, as soon as she starts the meditation, I start crying. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't even think I'm going to cry before she starts. But invariably, that's what happens. And, and the things that I've thought about during those sessions where, where I'm having a hard time with this or that, I have not successfully softened in those situations at all. But... All of a sudden, I notice that I feel softer towards all kinds of other situations that have been, you know, just a little bit prickly or whatever, or things that are old that that I just got used to them being there. But all of a sudden, I feel a little softer towards them. So um, even though working on the thing directly has had zero impact on that thing, it's had a lot of other little impacts all over the place. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, but it, I feel like every time I raise my hand today, everything's so clear. And then I start to talk and I'm like, I can't connect these dots, but I feel them connected. Oh, I hear that. I, I hear the connection. I hear the connection. 
I'll also offer, I mean, Denise, I don't know if this is helpful, but um, at least for me, inner work isn't like a light switch. You know, it's not like, oh, you hear the teaching and it makes sense and then click, you know, now I'm now I'm fixed. Now I'm done. Um, it takes work from for me. And, and it sounds like for you, for you potentially as well. Um, I think the work of softening is is definitely um, an ongoing process um, towards myself and towards others. Um, I'll also sort of share that I, I, I had. What felt, I don't know if it was, I wouldn't call it like a breakthrough moment, but a, a helpful reflective moment a couple of weeks ago where I was, I was feeling kind of stuck on something and I had the thought that, you know, the, and, and this has been a, a thread for me um, for a long time. No one, no one is harder on me and no one has higher expectations of me than I do for myself which in some ways can be helpful, right? Like, like pushing myself to do better and do more, but only so far. Right. And, and when I push myself too hard or I hold myself to too high a standard, that's, that's actually not always helpful. Um, and to try to work on softening that perspective towards myself, which, oh yeah, then by the way, also helps me um, bring that to other people as well. Um, I don't quite know where that comes from. And this is also, thank you all for, for coming to my, my live therapy session. Um, so we can kind of pause there. Um, but I, but I do think that the, the work of internal softening is a difficult, b important and c a gradual process, um, at least for me. And I can definitely relate to that. So speaking of therapists, Karen. Um, I might have said this before, it's kind of simple. <clears throat> Feelings and thoughts are automatic. It's what you do with them. And so exactly what you were saying, Paula, and, and RMS uh, is exactly it. They're there to kind of have conversations with yourself and uh, choose the way you want to be in the world about those. Never, yeah, right, I'm telling you now, never uh, be mad that you're mad. Yes, of course you will, but you, you get the point. There are, it's it, that's it. It's just they come and they go. Yeah. But the but the actions. Yeah. The well, and that and that's also for me part of what I like about the Noam Ali Melech's invitation here, right? That it's it's possible. It's not a given, um, but that it's possible to elevate all of it, and there. Um, there, there's, there's not anything inherently wrong with any of it. It's a, it's a question of what you do with it. Um, and I think that that's, I think when, when I'm, you know, on the verge of getting angry that I'm angry, right? Like, oh, it's, it's okay. You know, it's okay. And it's actually possible for me to elevate all of that if I do the work. So, Taibo. Um. To sort of unrelated, I was just going to say about the anger. I remember hearing about various studies. I don't remember if they're anecdotal or not, but um, that when human beings are are either traumatized or caught in a situation that's inherently unfair, the ones who react with anger to the external often do better than the ones who react react and this is descriptive not proscriptive because we can't oh 
like Karen just said, you can't control, then ones who start thinking, oh, if I were smarter, better, whatever, this wouldn't have happened to me. So sometimes Mm -hmm. anger, I mean, not all situations, not like, you know, the angry drivers, but in some situations, anger is actually um, psychologically helpful. And that led me to, I'm not saying that he did this with anger, but very consciously in the pandemic, because I knew I needed to be home before my part of Maryland closed down and I'm still home and I may be home for who knows the rest of my life. I re I read and then reread um, Natan Sharansky mm-hmm. just to focus on how he survived. Uh, obviously not on skates, but healthy enough to then become an elected official, a politician, what uh, a macher at the Jewish agency and all these things that not saying that can emulate him, but then I tried to focus on um, someone who managed to see just the keeping that in mind might help, you know, the, the rabbinic, see the glass, well, redoing the rabbinic to American English, see the glass half full, not half empty. And even a book, I think he published right before the pandemic with Gil Troy, that the title's never alone. Mm. Anyway, that was kind of a slightly divergent ramble, but Natan Sharansky, good thing to think about. Yeah, right. What's what I, I think the, the connecting thread I'm hearing through a few of these things is, is, recognizing a anger is natural and normal b we can elevate it and see maybe it's even constructive right pointed in the right direction um, which i think makes a lot of sense jackie chatted me to say she's the perfect segue into what's next so i never want to step on a perfect segue i'll just stop talking so it's interesting paula i relate to what you said about i i will say like i Anger is not my problem. Like, I'm not an angry person. If you ever see me mad, I think Rabbi Shapiro has seen it once or twice. It turns to tears and me just like sobbing in a parking lot on the curb in front of Temple Beth um, in an office, you know. Um, people who know me know that. Um, but I think for me, like, I really relate to the like, I'm really anxious or I'm really sad or whatever it is. And then I'm like beating myself up of like, why are you anxious? Your life is fine. Why are you sad? You have a roof over your head. Um, And the greatest phrase I heard was it's not the pain Olympics. Um, But I think like, I, I relate so much to that though, of like, I'm already sad or anxious or whatever I'm feeling. And then I'm beating myself up and then it makes it all worse. Um, And so I read this text yesterday. I was digging on this. We were talking and we were like, what are we going to do? And, and I read this text and this was, um, I had a fantastic teacher, Rabbi Eliana Yolkut last year. And she told us often that the, that the sermon or the teaching you give is what you need to hear. Um, And after this week, this is what I need. And I hope that, that this is what, what we all could use. And I'm going to share my screen Um, like a little bit of a Luddite. This is a photo of a, of a book. and this is so Rabbi S.R. Hirsch, who's a German Orthodox rabbi. I always uh, love it when when female rabbis quote Rabbi Shimshon Raphael Hirsch. He's he is he is he is unhappy somewhere, and that's okay. <laughs> um, well, it's funny because this is out of Nachama Leibovitz's commentary. Yeah, this is the English. doubly unhappy. Yeah, it's perfect. So I actually brought it really for the second paragraph. Hold on, I'm trying to both see you all and see my text, which is apparently a challenge. Um, 
He wrote, and he shall carry forth the ashes. The relics of the previous day's ritual must be removed before the new day's ritual can begin in a clean and renovated place. This explains the insistence of affecting the removal of the ashes, the residue of the previous day, in worn-out clothes. One must not regale oneself in pomp for that which brings to the past. It is superseded by the present mitzvah that each day bids us to observe. So here, I'm going to stop so I can see all of you. Here, he's really talking specifically about... um, He's really talking specifically about mitzvot and about what's incumbent on us. Um, But I think this really spoke to me in changing the clothes and starting over. And I often half joking, half serious talk about like getting a good night's sleep. And it's the human version of turning it off and turning it on again. Like you restart your computer. Um, But this even, I think is even simpler than that is an opportunity of changing you change your clothes and you change your attitude or you use it as an opportunity to do that and what does that present to you um and i really love that and how do you and it's to me it's so symbolic paired with these ashes from the previous day that it's the end of the day it's the burnt pieces it's the little bits that are left and how and how do we take that and how do we sweep it all up put on like finish close the day that happened put on our new clothes, take out whatever happened and start over and start a fresh day. Um, And I think both, I think that can be seen as really hard and a challenge of like, oh, that's really big to be able to close the door on yesterday. Um, But I think it's also permission and it's permission to say to ourselves, yesterday sucked. I'm done with it. I don't have to dwell on it today that I can just put on new clothes and take out the trash and be done. Um, and so it is both a challenge and permission, I think, to be able to start start your day fresh with whatever it is you need to leave behind. Was that the bow? That was the, that was it. That was the bow? Can I do the thing I hate and put a bow on the bow? Yes, you can put a bow on the bow. For some reason, I thought you were talking about bow, like the Hebrew word, and I was like, sure, I've never used it that way, but sure, but you're talking about like tying a ribbon on it. Yes, you can put a ribbon on the Entire bow. Oh, you're so pretty. I have that same headband, like an actual headband that looks like that. I just want you to know. It's been a few weeks, so I, I had to make sure to do that. Um, I, in terms of elevating, oh, Karen's waiting for the bow. I better bow quickly. Um, I found an acronymization of the word deshen, of the, like the word for ashes, which is davar shalom nechshav, a thing that you're not thinking about and trying to like elevate that and trying to, to bring that to mind, which I think, you know, ties in at least some of what we've been talking about today. Yes. We're trying to move past what might have come before. And yes, we're trying to not get caught up in what we've been thinking about or stuck on, but part of it is also like the, the unconscious stuff. Part of it is also the things that are sort of like lingering kind of there in the background. And when we talk about elevating the ashes, we're actually working on getting in touch with everything that we're experiencing and trying to bring that to mind. You know, I mean, that, that we're, we're getting very therapy today, but, but Rabbi Schatz isn't here to stop me from doing that. Um, so, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. also about kind of trying to elevate the, the stuff that we're not thinking about is the stuff you, you can't move past something unless you brought it to sort of conscious to consciousness right? And only then when you're sort of more aware of it, can you find a way to work through it, whether spiritually or psychologically and or both and or what's the difference and all that. Um, but that whole sense that getting more, t- getting more in touch fully with what our experience is. And then once we're aware of it, then we can find a, say, find a way to say, okay, that's what I'm experiencing. I can be more mindful of it. 
I can now find a way to move past it. Um, and that that's, that's part of what, uh, holiness and connection can, can be about and might even require. Um, I don't know if that's a bow, but I'm going to leave it there for now. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.